In 1 Samuel 2, we have Hannah's song of thanksgiving and a contrast of character, ministry, family, and destiny between the family of Samuel and the family and household of Eli. Hear now the inspired word of God profitable for us. 1 Samuel 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of, thy, out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. So Elkanah went to Ramah, to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest. For he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, 
his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people? Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me. For them that dishonor me, I, or for them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm, and the arm of thy father's house. And there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation and all the wealth which God shall give Israel. And there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine whom I shall not cut off from mine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart. And all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread 
and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. Thus far the reading of God's inspired word given for our prophet, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11, we have Hannah's song of thanksgiving to God for the child in answer to prayer, Samuel. It says that she prayed and said, this is not a song in other words, it's not like the Psalms that are given for singing. This is a, these are words of prayer that she said to God. She says, her mouth is enlarged over her enemies. This means that those that insulted her as Penina, who had demeaned her, who had oppressed her with their words, who had exalted themselves, she now is victorious over her adversary. That's what it means to have your mouth enlarged. You may boast over your enemy. She says the reason for this boasting is because she rejoices in God's salvation. God's almighty power to save cannot be overcome. It cannot be undone. It cannot be abrogated or set aside. Therefore, if we rejoice in his salvation, the scriptures say, we shall never be ashamed. And so she says here, she says in verse 2 that there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. A rock has power. You may found upon a rock. You may build upon a rock. God is such a holy rock. Would you have a firm foundation? Well, then look to her God, who is a rock like none other. She says that the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. This is a constant theme in this specific prayer of Hannah's. Those who were prideful and exalted and victorious, God brings them down. Those who were humble and seem to be defeated, God raises them up. And this is exactly what our Lord says. Those that exalt themselves shall be abased, and those that humble themselves shall what? be exalted. And so again and again, this same sort of language she uses here. The barren, she says, hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. Here she takes the general truth of the exaltation of the humble and the throwing down of the wicked proud, and she applies it to herself. That's what she's saying. She's applying it to her adversary, Penina, and to herself and God's dealings with her. We must particularize the general truths of Scripture. <clears throat> she says that God killeth and God maketh alive. God is just, in other words. He kills because the wages of sin is death. God judges sin with death. He kills. But what else does God do? The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He makes alive. He's a God of resurrection, a God who raises the dead in his great mercy, those repentant ones, those turning from their sins. Let us be such a people, humbling ourselves before the Lord, confessing, acknowledging our sins, trusting not to our own righteousness, but to the righteousness of another, even him who is raised for the, from the dead for our justification. Notice, the Lord lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. This is the gospel in a nutshell. 
Do we see ourselves as beggars on a dunghill? Or do we see ourselves as princes? Because if you're not sick, you have no need of a physician. So here those that humble themselves, confessing and acknowledging their status, that they are low and worthless, that they are hopeless and helpless. He will take them and do what? Set them with the princes of the land. Do you think a man covered in manure could go and sit with princes in the land? Of course not. God must clothe them. God must wash. God must cleanse. And so he does. He pardons. He forgives. He heals. He raises to newness of life. She looks at God's absolute rule over all things. Who founded the earth? Who set the pillars of the earth? Even the Lord, she says. Those pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He is the builder and maker of all things, and therefore he may dispose of all as pleases him best. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Does it pay to fight with heaven? It doesn't. The adversary, the one who sets themselves up in opposition to God, what will God do to them? Let them go on forever? No, he will break them in pieces, she says. It does not pay to fight with God, sue for peace, come to reconciliation with him, and you shall not be destroyed. He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed, she says in verse 10. Now notice, God in his providence at this time had no king in Israel. There was no Saul yet. There was no David. There was no Solomon. Who is this king that she's speaking of by whom the Lord will judge the earth? Who is this anointed one, this anointed king? Well, obviously, she's referring to David and to David's greater son. God will exalt and raise up the horn of his anointed to give him the victory, his Messiah. Verse 11 says that Elkanah went to Ramah, to his house, and the child there ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. Then verses 12 through 21, we have a contrast of character, ministry, and families between Samuel and Eli. Notice verse 12, sad words here. The sons of Eli, they weren't just the sons of Eli, were they? They were the sons of Belial. Now, this word Belial is composed of two different words. One is Beli, which means without, and Ya'al, which means worth. So someone who is without worth, a good for nothing, a useless person, no profit whatsoever. And how do we know that they were sons of Belial? Notice, they knew not the Lord. So then the worth of a man is contingent on what? His knowledge of God. Does he know the Lord's will? Does he know what God has commanded? Does he know the promises of God? Does he know the Lord in his worship? Does he submit himself to his holy law? That's what it means to know the Lord. And this is what it means to be human, to know God. Let us then know God. Let us increase our worth, our use, and our profit to ourselves and to others. We cannot profit God, but we can profit our neighbor. And such sons of Eli were no profit to any man, not even to themselves. 
Now notice here, verse 13, it says that the priest's custom with the people, and the word here is mishpat. It is a Hebrew word that means a judgment or a statute or some kind of rule. But it was not God's mishpat. It was not God's judgment. It was theirs, their custom with the people. And we must distinguish these sources of authority. Was this custom from God in his revelation or was it from men in their self-will? This was from men. The Lord did not command these things. All that the flesh hook brought up for the priests, he took for himself. The Dutch annotations note that God had given the priests for their food certain pieces or parts of the beasts which were offered, namely the breast and the right shoulder. Exodus 29, verses 27 and 28. Leviticus 7, 31 through 33. But they were not permitted to take what they pleased or what the fork gave them. Also, the portion that belonged to the priest must first be heaved up and waved before the Lord. I note then this doctrine, men that do not know God will not regard his commandments. You see this. They're described as men who are sons of Belial. They do not know the Lord. And then what do you see? Well, they don't care what God says. It doesn't matter to them if God commanded this or prohibited that. What matters to them is my will be done. Let me do what I will, even in God's house. Let us then know God let us trust in his promises and walk in his laws. Now notice there, before they burnt the fat, verse 15 tells us the priest's servant came. They had a little lad that they would send out. And they would not burn the fat first as an offering to the Lord. That was God's portion from Leviticus 3, 3 through 5. Eli and his sons profane God's rights in preference to their own will. They say, he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. I want it now. I don't want it cooked and then get it. I want it right now. So give it to me. That's the idea. Notice verse 16. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Now this is very important. This is the offerer of the sacrifice, the worshiper himself. He's bringing his offering. The priest comes and demands his portion right away. And the worshiper reminds him that God has a law. The law is that we must burn first. Burn the fat. That's an offering to God. The call, the liver, the fat that surrounds them, that all gets burned to the Lord. Then the priest would take two portions, the breast and the shoulder. But notice the worshiper is reminding him of the word of God and he's saying, I'm willing to concede other parts, but we've got to follow God's orders. We've got to worship as God has commanded. And what was the response of the priests? You know, you're right. The word of God says this, let's do it God's way. Is that what they said? No. They said, you will give it to me now and if not, I will take it by force. See how wicked that is? Not only do the people remind them of the statutes which they should be teaching the people, 
But instead of obeying the word of God, they say, my will be done. They are sons of Belial. They do not know the Lord. They will not listen to his commandments, even from the voice of the people coming to worship. The people are willing to concede some of their rights. Take as much as thy soul desireth, but please let's do it God's way first. I'll give you extras if we can just do it God's way. No, that is not good enough for them. I will take it by force. They were not liable to correction. They were not willing to submit themselves to the word of God. Now, these are their ecclesiastical inferiors. The priests are supposed to be the teachers of the people. They're supposed to be the superiors in knowledge and wisdom and holiness. They're supposed to set an example before the people of godliness. And here they are saying, let's not listen to God. Let's listen to my will. So they take it by force. And the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. They profane his holiness. They defy his word. They scandalize the people. They cause the people not to want to come to worship, but to abhor the sacrifice. God then takes this as an offense done to whom? To himself. You make the people of God by your lawlessness and disobedience to my word not want to do what I have commanded. I hold you as sinning against me, God said. Let us then avoid causing the little ones of Christ to stumble. God takes their adherence to his word as an honor to himself and their disobedience to his word or making the word of God stink to them as an offense against himself. And notice the contrast, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord being a child girded with a linen ephod, here you have a holy little boy and some wicked men. Quite a contrast here, and we'll see more contrasts. His mother comes and makes him a coat each year. She brings it when she comes to worship. Notice she is a godly mother. She cares for the body of her child as well as his soul. She looks after him and remembers. Again, remember, she doesn't have to come three times a year. Only the men do. But she loves the Lord and she wants to go to his house and she wants to worship him. And so here, as she comes, Eli gives a blessing to her. The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. God is a generous borrower, so to speak. He pays excellent interest. If you lend to him, so to speak, because you can't, everything belongs to him. But if you lend to him, so to speak, do you think he'll be stingy in paying you back? No one's a loser for giving to God. And so here, she gave her child to the Lord to be a priest of the Lord in the temple. And God gives her back more and more. He visits her, as it says in verse 21. The Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, says that he episcopost her, he supervised her, he oversaw her case, he shepherded her, he came and gave her conception and another child and more and more children. Every conception then is a visitation from God himself. Do you realize how wicked it is to conceive of a child as a curse? When people think this child that I have in my womb 
should die. I should kill it. Do you know what sort of demented thinking that is? God visited them, even if they were sinning, or someone sinned against them, God visited them and blessed them with a child, and what do they want to do? Snuff out the life? This is the work of the devil. Every conception is a visitation from God, and whether in or out of the womb, God says we should see children as a blessing. Let us learn to see biblically these things in the light of God who created all things, who in his decree opens or closes the womb, and in his sacred word tells us how we ought to think of these things. Verses 22 through 36, we have Eli's mild reproof of his sons and the announcement of God's doom on his house. Now note verse 22. Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Just think for a minute. Profaning the holy place, the women likely there for what purpose? To worship? And what do they seduce them unto? To the worship of God? No. To their own profane and wicked lusts in the holy place, enticing women, leading them to uncleanness and wickedness. Truly they were sons of Belial. Eli hears of this. What does he do? Does he have the sort of relationship with his sons that they will listen to him? Not really. God says he didn't honor God. He honored his sons. Why do ye such things? That's not much of a reproof, is it? Why are you doing that? Couldn't he have disciplined them in some way? Couldn't he have chastened them, perhaps? Maybe he should have started when they were little children and not shown them how to be indulgent himself. But did he? No. Did he kick them out of the priest's office for being wicked and lawless, for profaning the holy temple of God? No. Why do ye such things? Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. This is true. They brought odium on the ordinances of God. They made people hate the worship of God as he instituted it by not enforcing it. They made the people transgress. And he says, this is very true, very correct. If you sin against another man, maybe a judge will settle your matters. If you profane God, who's going to settle that? How are you going to have reconciliation with God if you go on in your sin of profaning his worship? How's that going to work out for you? But notice, they did not hearken unto the voice of their father. Do you know why? Do you know why they wouldn't listen to dad? Well, because he was a bad parent. No, that's not what it says. That may play into it. Certainly in God's providence, he appoints means and he appoints ends in accordance with those means. Yes, that is true. He was a poor father. But what does it say? Because the Lord would destroy them. Now, this is a hard sentence in the Bible. The word would means to take delight in a thing. God was delighted to slay them. God takes pleasure in his justice. 
And when there are those put in positions of ruling in the church who will not listen to the word of God, but will rather commit uncleanness in the very place they should be honoring God, seducing those there for worship to despise God and to despise his worship. Do you know what God delights in? Destroying them, removing them, judging them, condemning them. Let us take heed when we are rebuked, if we are called out in a sin, if a brother or a sister comes alongside and says, look, have you thought about what the word of God says and that this thing you're doing is not what God says you should be doing? What is it if we harden our hearts? Well, it's the wrong path to be on, isn't it? There's a way that leads to death and there's a way that leads to life. And on that pathway to life, Jesus says, repent, turn from your sins. What about this way over here that leads to death? Is there repentance? Well, there might be regret. Remember Judas? He had regret that he had betrayed our Lord. He took the coins and threw them back into the temple and he went and did what? Repented? Turned from his sins? Confessed his sins? No. He hung himself. He had the sorrow of the world. These men will not listen. Let us not be like them. Let us listen to the voice of God in his word as he speaks, even through those who are under us, as these people were who rebuked, or those over us, as Eli was who rebuked them. Let us listen to God and his word. And let us tremble at the thought of God's justice. God delights in his mercy. And let us not spurn his mercy. Let us receive it. Samuel then, verse 26, in contrast with these sons of Belial, Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. These are almost identical words concerning our Savior Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2, verses 40 and 52. Why is that? Well, Samuel is a representation of Christ. He is a shadow. He is a type he is a person who does and says things like our Lord Jesus, who is a prophet and what else? A priest, who is a child that was given to a godly mother so that he might bring salvation to the people. And notice when God pronounces the doom and denunciation of judgment against Eli, notice the contrast with Samuel. Did I choose him, speaking of his ancestor Aaron, did I choose him out of all the tribes to be my priest? Well, yes. Yes, he did. Did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire? Well, yes. Yes, he did. You know why God is doing this? This is an aggravation for the sin. Can't you just be content with the position and the pay that I've given you? Do you have to go and profane my worship and steal for yourself? You can't just be content with all the blessings I've showered upon you. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offerings, which I have commanded in my habitation. Remember, their custom was to take what they wanted. What had God commanded? That's what matters. Why not be content with what I have commanded, God says. You kick at my sacrifice. I give you a portion and you kick at it and you want more. But even though God had ordained their father as a priest, he says, 
Now you will no longer be priests. Now you're going to beg that someone could just give you a little piece of bread and a coin of silver so that you can feed yourself because I'm removing you from the priesthood, he says. I'm going to tear off your arm. No old men in your household. The doom is sealed. Be it far from me, the Lord says. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The priests, by saying our will should be done, not God's. We don't care what God has commanded in his worship. We care what we want. That is despising God. That is thinking little of him. Yeah, yeah, God, you've got some commandments. No big deal. We're going to do what we want. We don't care what you say. And did you know that the church of Jesus Christ, those that profess to know the Lord, do you know that they don't really care what God says to do in worship? We often don't. We don't regard it. We don't even think about it. It's not on the radar screen. We want, what, rock bands, loud music, lots of jokes, a guy dressed like a clown? That's what we want. We want to have our fancy tickled. We want, oh, my best life now? Sure, you can fill up a stadium with that trash. Start telling people what God says? Oh, sorry. That's a little too much for us. Can't have that. Them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me, though the world loves them, God says, they shall be lightly esteemed. Let us then fear the Lord. Let us honor him even over our beloved children and favored relations. Put God above all, Jesus says. You must love me and you must hate your father and mother and your own life also if you would be my disciple. The doom then is listed in verses 31 through 36 with God's gracious promise in verse 35 to raise up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. This is God's anointed Samuel himself, perhaps the immediate reference, but the ultimate is our Lord Jesus Christ, the priest over God's house. And thus far the explanation of 1 Samuel chapter 2.